0: Welcome back to Ghostbusters Minute. Ghostbusters Minute is the fan podcast that breaks down, analyzes, and chronicles, and also celebrates the classic 1984 film Ghostbusters Minute by Minute. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And with us again today, we have screenwriter extraordinaire Mark Landry with us. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm great, guys. How are you? I'm good. Oh, good. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming back and joining us for another show. Anytime. Uh, so, yes. Mark, I want to tell a Ghostbusters-related story about you real quick. Um, mm-hmm. It's 2009, and I am in. I get a call, and I have to go to Los Angeles to do some work-related stuff, and that's fantastic because one of my best buddies, Mark Landry, lives in... Los Angeles. I get to see him again. So it also happened to fall on your birthday that I was there. <laughs> yeah. And you sent me a message and you're like, dude, you got to come out. Uh, I rented out the silent movie theater, which I think is like CineFamily now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you were screening your own copy of Ghostbusters. It was, it was the best uh, 30th birthday party I'll ever have.
1: Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, uh, this movie theater, the CineFamily, is so great. Um you could just call and say, "Hey, you know, I want to have an event, and they have a patio in the back where you can have food. You know, we we got the uh, you know we got Chinese takeout just like they have in minute twenty eight of the movie. And I made uh, Slimer Jello shots, you know, green Jello shots for everybody. And um, uh, CineFamily Family took care of rent, you know, the rental of the space and getting the print from Sony. Uh, oh wow! So it was a thirty five millimeter print, and you know, came with the the event fee or whatever, and, uh, you know, they popped us popcorn, and it was, uh, I, I wore my Ghostbusters uniform with my name on it and everything. It was great, and I, it was great to see you there, man, I appreciate you coming.
0: Oh, yeah, no, thank you for having me, and uh, I, I think I got there, like, right after you guys had started the movie, so I had a seat, like, in the back, and after it was over with, I had to, like, jet out. Pretty quickly, so it's like I was in town for two weeks, and I came in, and like the only time we got to see each other is when the movie was over. And you know, Brady, I'm am sitting there outside the movie theater waiting for Mark to come out because I had a little teddy bear I was going to give him as a gift. <laughs> yeah. and, uh Mark comes I still out. I have that. Yeah, <laughs> it was it's a cute bear. Mark comes out in his full jumpsuit, uh, his full Ghostbusters jumpsuit, which he had made for the movie. So. That was, oh, i see it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's awesome. Um, so Mark, uh, for anybody that maybe didn't. Uh, listened to episode 28 yet, uh, uh, just introduce yourself a little bit. Now you're a screenwriter and you've also uh, done a couple other creative things, right? Uh, yeah, I'm a screenwriter and uh, I wrote a graphic novel which came out this summer called Bloodthirsty One Nation Underwater. So just reading through Bloodthirsty, I know that you've kind of got a interest in um, I, w- I wouldn't say maybe necessarily the supernatural, but like magical realism. A lot of your work seems to follow kind of a, uh, a heightened sense of uh, supernatural type stuff in the story. Were you mm-hmm. influenced by Ghostbusters? <laughs> oh yes, uh, <laughs> yeah. Ghostbusters came out in in '84,
1: and I was uh, just I was like four turning five, I think. And it was, uh, my dad took me to see it, and I had the most visceral, amazing experience of my life, my, my young life at that time. And it blew my mind, and that was the thing. That was it for me. I wanted to make movies. I didn't know exactly how it worked, but I, what I thought at the time was, like, I wanted to be an actor because that's what those people were. That, those are the people you can see you yeah. know, when you're five. You don't know mm-hmm. that there's, like, 200 people behind them. Um, so I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna make movies," and I thought you could just show up and just do it, you know. Uh, so I, you know, then I got to film school. You know, <laughs> I learned a little bit more before film school, but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I arrived on the day <laughs> in my Ghostbusters uniform, and they're like, "No, there's a." Clip. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us, Mark, and we really appreciate you lending your expert uh, filmmaking experience to uh, our chronicling of the movie here, and we're definitely going to ask you some more questions about screenwriting and how this particular minute shapes what what comes after it, so if you guys are ready, we'll go ahead and start chronicling. Brady, you ready? Let's do it, yeah. Do it. Okay, so this is Ghostbusters Minute, Minute number 29. Uh, Janine has just finished taking a call for the first extermination job. At Minute 29, Janine thanks the person she is talking to on the phone before hanging up, standing up at her desk and screaming, We've got one! At 29.05, Janine hits a button on her desk, which sets off an alarm upstairs. The song, Cleaning Up the Town by the Busboys, begins to play again. At 29.10, the three Ghostbusters look in shock at each other at the sound of the alarm. Ray screams, It's a call! And the three men get it from the table and slide down a fire pole to the Ecto 1 waiting below. At 29.27, we see the license plate for Ecto 1 for the first time as the firehouse doors open. At 29.36, we cut to an outside shot of the firehouse where Ecto 1 flies out of the bay and makes a left turn. At 29.45, we cut to the sign for the Sedgwick Hotel. At 29.51, we see the Ghostbusters symbol canonically in-world for the first time as Ecto-1 pulls up to the entrance of the Cedric Hotel. At 29.45, the fully suited up Ghostbusters enter the lobby of the Cedric Hotel, and Peter Venkman asks the onlookers, Hey, anybody seen a ghost? At 29:58, Vinkman locks eyes with a pretty lady as she walks off screen left, and there ends minute number 29. A lot of action, a little bit of montage going on here, but this is a very important minute, uh, if for nothing else. Janine slamming down the red button and screaming, yeah. "We got one!"
2: I tell you <laughs> what, um, Mark, you were explaining in uh, the last minute about how things break down in terms of, you know, screenwriting at a first act, second act, third act, and right before this is when they were at their lowest. I can't think of another movie that has a more kick-ass Opening to you know another portion of the movie than, than this moment right here. I mean, between they're oh, yeah. slamming down the bell, screaming, "We've got one!" The guys walking in in their suits, Ecto One's introduction to that music is just like I mean, you talk about just getting your blood pumping. It's an yeah, awesome, it's awesome moment. Yeah,
1: it's a it's an announcement. It's it's you know we're 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 entering a new phase of the mm-hmm. story. You know, and this has become for many people a template. Basically, uh, and you know, I guess you can see. Um, can't remember what the other Ivan Reitman movie was that uh, David Duchovny was in.
0: Oh, the uh, Evolution.
1: Evolution, which yeah. I'm
0: pretty sure you and I saw Evolution together in the theater, Mark. I think we did. We did. did, yeah. Yeah. So it was like
1: you know, of course, it was a template for Ivan Reitman because you know he wrote Ghost he or he directed Ghostbusters, but um, but it's been a template for other screenwriters as well. And I always look at it. You know, when I'm writing something like, well, what what would they do in Ghostbusters? Or where were they at this minute in Ghostbusters? You know, so it's it's great that you're doing this minute by minute because screenwriters analyze other movies minute by minute, minute by minute, to to basically do a check, like check your work to see, you know, am I am I hitting the right moments at the right? Are people getting bored? And Ghostbusters is a tremendous uh, example of perfectly paced film.
0: Yeah, the, the the flow to this movie is outstanding. I think Brady and I have even talked about before how like it, the first forty five minutes of this movie are absolutely flawless. The the rest of the movie is is fantastic too. But pretty much up until that big montage of you know set to the Ghostbusters theme song, um, it's it, there's there's never a skipped beat in anything. It's right. it's pretty much just flawless. But um, yeah, I, I can see why a lot of screenwriters would want to go back to this and, and use it. To, to create their own new work. But um, Mark, you were talking in the last minute about how minute number 28 was really kind of the final curtain going down on the third act. Uh, do you think minute number 29, that we're jumping into it a little bit fast here, or is this kind of the pacing you want to have the audience when you're when you're entering the second act?
1: Well, uh, so yeah, so minute 28 was the curtain going down on the first act, um, and, and this is the curtain going up on the second act, and it's, it's a rip-roaring adventure sort of action montage and Ivan Reitman described this moment in the film like okay what we wanted to do was basically build up this excitement level so that once the four ghosts or the three at this point Ghostbusters walk through those doors in their suits for the first time into the Cedric Hotel the audience should applaud in a perfect world Ivan Reitman said, you would want the audience to applaud at that moment. He said it, you know, it, it, very, you know, humbly like that. And he, he got his wish uh, when this came out. Yeah, history
2: is did. made in that moment.
1: Pop yes. cultural
2: history is made in that moment. Not to cut you <laughs> off, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. And I, I was done. Basically, you know, he succeeded in ramping up. That's why this is so fast. You're, you know, you're, you're announcing it with the bell. We got one. She's like a cheerleader leading a cheer, mm-hmm. and, and the, the car coming out, you don't see the guys in the suits until they walk through those doors in that iconic shot, and people are cheering in the audience. Yeah. It, it's a well-crafted uh, ramp into, boom, we're in act two. We're, we have a, Ghostbusters are established.
0: It's the, – the sound editing or the – not the Foley work, but I guess the, the, the sound work on this is pretty interesting too because it's when she yells, we got one, slams down the alarm. You've got the alarm going as they're coming down the fire poles and you know, the, the uh, fast music playing, and then from the alarm, you go to the siren an Ecto-1. So mm-hmm. the whole time, there's all this stuff going in the background, kind of signaling to you, too, like, hey, pay attention, pay attention, exciting stuff's happening here. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Be excited, do not
1: dip, you know, you're get ready to cheer, because they're going to come through the doors in their uniforms for the first time, and
0: you're going to love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I got some trivia about uh, this particular minute. Uh, so we were talking a little bit off-air a second ago about the arcade games that are in the background, uh, and it's very difficult to tell what they are. Uh, so I found out what they were. So we've got um, two arcade cabinets and a pinball machine. So the arcade cabinets – well, I'll start with the pinball machine. pinball machine is a pinball game called Stargazer. The one on the left of that is an arcade machine called Star Castle. Now, the one on the left of that is a little bit harder to figure out because it looks like the marquee is for a game that is not presented on the screen. The one on the screen is clearly Missile Command. Uh, you can tell by the base going on the, the the bottom of the monitor there, but whatever it is on the marquee, it's just unfortunately unless it was like an 8K that we could blow up <laughs> to to large enough and actually walk up to the screen and look at it, no one's really been able to figure out what that is. So, uh, but it is missile command being uh, being represented in the monitor there. So, hmm. have you also noticed that there are three fire poles upstairs and they take Man. one.
2: I just noticed tonight, reviewing this, that there's more than one. I didn't even see that there were three. I just saw two. Yeah. I've been watching this movie since I was, you know, in utero, and I freaking (laughs) have missed this until tonight.
0: Well, it's like Mark was saying earlier that this movie kind of like lives in our heads. You know, Mm it's just kind of like, not that we take it for granted, but it's just part of our personalities, and I think that stuff like that, it's just, you know, we're not watching it for those things. It it flows so well that we're getting involved with the characters and we're not looking for things like that, but so there's three fire poles. They take one down. The fire pole by the arcade machines can't actually exist because it would be going through the staircase down below, Mm -hmm. so they all take one down, and there's there's two more. The other one is in the left-hand corner behind... A very strangely placed uh, stove, or like a like an oven yeah. or chiminea type thing, I guess, to heat up the room. And, and
2: thinking about the pole that they actually come down broadens the size and scale of the building in my mind. I always thought it was the side of the building to the other side of the building was where their uniforms are. To you know the just the other side that we see in that room. But knowing yeah. that where they are upstairs is even further to the left. Let's say if you're coming through the door of the firehouse. It just broadens the scale of that building so much more. Again, these are things like you know we, like you're saying, uh, we just never thought about because mm. we've been seeing this movie for so long. We didn't really examine that. But here you go, analyzing the movie minute by minute, you start to think about uh, those this types of uh, logistics that aren't really that important.
1: Yeah. I'm sorry, until you guys, uh, I think, talked about this guy who had, you know, recently gone to the place, the the firehouse that's in L.A. and mm-hmm. managed to get in, and I watched his video that you guys recommended. Yeah. Um, until I saw that, I wasn't really exactly sure of the, you know, the entire layout of the, the bottom floor, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a little strange. It feels very narrow and com, you know, compact. And the, the office at the back we were talking on a previous episode is like – Peter calls it his office, but it's really just kind of like another part of the room. You know? yeah. yeah, like try having privacy on a phone call or anything. But Mark, when you were taking your uh, pilgrimage to New York and going around seeing all the, um, the, the New York filming locations, did you go by the hook and ladder number eight in Tribeca? I sure did. I have a photo of myself uh, in front of it, and I think it's
1: snowing or something, or it just snowed. Um, it wow. was like, and I. It was like this time of my and like that when it was the winter. It was like almost New Year, and I was like sad about something. I was uh, there was some girl problem or something, and then you know, going to see Hook and Ladder uh, really just picked me up. Awesome, just, yeah,
0: it was a great, That's cool thing to do. It was perfect. So, uh, have you been to some of the Los Angeles filming locations of Ghostbusters?
1: Uh, no. So as I was saying earlier, like I, I kind of just live with the movie sort of in my head, and I didn't really, you know, I, I didn't want to, like, know the nuts and bolts of it because it was so much a part of my personality, you know, as yeah. much as I like to analyze other films. Um, and so in just kind of boning up for this uh, minute, I realized that the Cedric is actually the Biltmore down in Los Angeles and downtown. Yes. And I was, like, kicking myself. And
0: no! No! I- <laughs>
1: How could I not have gone there? I've been there yeah. since 2001. How did I not go there?
0: Well, is downtown L.A.? I've always kind of heard a joke about how downtown L.A. was kind of dead. Is, it, is, it, is there anything to do down there? Or do well, people yeah. Usually... They, over, the, over the past 10 years or so, they built up this
1: section called L.A. Live where they have like – it kind of anchors at the Staples Center and they have a movie theater now and restaurants and, mm-hmm. and people are buying loft apartments and it's, it's being revitalized on purpose. Um, but, yeah, for a while there, it was sketchy.
2: You know, I want to say something about um, the hook and ladder number eight thing. It's so weird that you can, like, actually go there to this iconic place that you've grown up seeing, and yet you can go and walk right up to it, and it almost feels like Ghostbusters is a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's so crazy. I can't think of any other movie that, that has that opportunity um, that was shot at a real location, much less one is iconic at that, and you can go up to it, and it's like, holy shit, the guys are in there, you know. Yeah. The one, one is right behind that door, and those dudes are up there in that window, you know. And, it's uh, like uh, beginning it's, an
1: alternate dimension or something.
2: It is. It's so weird. And uh, I, I think I said it on another episode in the show. I was in New York uh, with my brother, and we were driving down, and passed it up. And I started slapping him, and I couldn't even, <laughs> or make sound out of my mouth. You know, it was. It's that huh. You know, uh, I don't know. Cool of a moment for a, a Ghostbusters fan, but just—it's so strange that sensation to be there and, and you're there. You're at the real place. I know. It's it's, it's, it's insane.
1: Yeah. And, and you're just waiting for them to come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
2: And then it opens, and you're like, wait, no. Wait, wait, it's not the real thing inside. It's not the same thing. Yeah, and there's yeah. firemen that
0: have a job to do to save people's lives. <laughs> They've had to deal exactly. with that. But, um, yeah, so we are talking about the Biltmore a second ago, which is in downtown Los Angeles. And mm-hmm. uh, the Biltmore is a pretty interesting hotel, it sounds like. Uh, it was, uh, it's been there for a long time, kind of a staple of the Los Angeles area. Um, and it's actually uh, supposedly haunted itself. Uh, and really? funny enough, uh, after a little bit of Googling, I found a uh, travel report uh, that someone had left because uh, because they gave it poor rating because the room was haunted. Whoa. So yeah, uh, I can actually read it here if you guys want to hear it. Okay, yeah. so this comes from, um, uh, God, I can't remember the name of the website. I think it's, I think it's actually travelreport.com. Uh, so I stayed here for the first time in mid-September. I chose it for the charm and knew going in that the building would be old and not updated based on reading reviews. It was not the cleanest, but it wasn't filthy either, and was not a run-of-the-mill hotel. Stayed four nights. Felt creepy the minute I got there. Third night, woke up in bed shaking and saw a blue orb the size of a basketball in a dark cloud above my bed, which hovered from there for 15 minutes. I was alone and scared, and so I began to pray. I've never seen a ghost or anything of the sort before in my life. Found out later that the place has a reputation of being haunted. That weekend, I also found out that they had a convention of people who seek to locate demons and ghosts, so maybe they brought something with them in. This experience has changed my life. I feel fear as I know these (laughs) things now exist. The food and certain... Okay, and then the food and service was excellent. Walls then could hear everything outside, not peaceful or quiet, as I could hear everything going on downtown. Three and three out of five stars. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow. So, you know what, I, would, I, I looked
1: up the hotel, too, and I didn't, I didn't see that, but I'm glad you found it because, like, all, what I saw was, like, oh, it's $259 a night, maybe I could go there. Now, now if there is, like, a focused, non-terminal, you know, repeating phantasm <laughs> yeah. included in the room, that's a bargain.
2: That's
0: a bargain, yeah. Well, it's, I think you're actually going to be okay because apparently, this is according to legend, uh, they don't rent out the haunted rooms because of the number of complaints they get. So I don't know what this lady got. Maybe the the, the ghost got lonely and moved to another room. But uh, apparently there's two or three rooms in the hotel that have such bad uh, negative experiences with them that they just don't rent them out because they know they get complaints in the morning. So the Biltmore is uh, kind of like uh, altering their review score on Yelp by not renting wow. out the haunted rooms. So, wow. But, I mean, uh, wouldn't
1: you want your hotel to be haunted? Like the yeah. the Queen Mary ship, you know, out here is like, you know, they're they're like, yeah, it's haunted. Come stay here. So yeah,
0: <laughs> well, there's a, a plantation uh, not too far away from uh, where Brady and I live, and I'm not going to give the name of it, but I'll just say that. It being haunted has drawn a lot of attention to it. Uh, these ghosts that were there were not ever reported by anyone that <laughs> lived in the hotel prior to the current owners. So, it's mm. uh, and if you didn't have the ghost, I don't know that it would have been really that uh, interesting of a place. So, yeah, I, if if I owned a hotel, I would tell everybody like, oh, you got to come for our our ghost, uh, you know, and, and wine ceremony every night, you know. Here but you having are. having gone on the ghost tour there, it, it is it is fun and interesting. Oh, but yeah, yeah. this. That's one of the things we want to do with this show, too, is if we, if we can tie in some sort of, like, and I'm using air quotes here, like, real-world haunting experience that something mm-hmm. has. Because you know, uh, we found out, I don't know if you uh, heard, Mark, in one of the episodes that there's actually a gray lady who haunts a library uh, yes. in, in Indianapolis. So, Yeah, That's I heard cool. that. I was
1: like, I, I've been learning so many things from your, your podcast. It, <laughs> it's wonderful. I,
2: okay. Great, not to cut you off, but um, you know, Ghostbusters Minute, Ghostbusters allows you to kind of veer off and talk about other things that are kind of relevant, and there's other movies by Minute that um, might not have that opportunity, Uh, interesting as they are, and we, so Kyle and I, we wanted to kind of take some opportunities to go off and talk about the, the experience that Kyle had staying in the hotel with his wife a few months back, with a great lady and things like that. And I don't know if listeners are digging that or if they're not, so you say that you find it interesting, and that's good to hear. Oh, i haven't really got any kind of feedback. No.
1: Yeah, when I look at the podcast, I, I listen to you guys every morning when I get up and, like, start my day and, like, have my morning coffee. And I look at it, and if it's, like, you know, 30 or 40 minutes, I'm like, yeah, it's a good one. You know, it's it's, <laughs> it's longer. You know, there's more stuff. yeah. Um, when you guys talked with uh, Chris, I think from the proton charging, I was like, "That was that was you know really fun." I, I would like take a long walk and listen to
2: it. Yeah, it's oh, good to hear, man. I appreciate it. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's that's we we whenever we look down at the end of a recording and we have like an extra long recording, we both kind of high five each other. We're like, "Hey, we're able to get you know <laughs> enough out of it." So. Um, yeah. And speaking of which, uh, I've kind of, like, run through the majority of the notes that I have here. Uh, do either you guys have anything else you noticed or any other feelings of, of around this area you want to talk about? Um,
2: for me, no. That's, that's really good. I mean, just some, some great introductions to Ecto-1 and the, the jumpsuits and the, the guys and costume and everything like that. But that's about it for me. And you guys already talked
1: about Ecto-1 being, like, originally a black car. Yeah. Yeah. And they gonna, it was going to have, like, purple and white. Uh, lights on it, strobe really? lights. Oh, cool! I didn't know that. That was the that was Dan Ackroyd's like idea of it would be purple and white and black. The car would be black, but the lights would be purple and white. Um, and then, like you guys said, the,
2: the the DP and the production
1: designer was like, well, maybe not.
2: Yeah, really uh, Well, yeah. Um, yeah. As as we get further along in the movie, I definitely want to talk more about Ecto-1 because it's there's too much there to just not, you know. Jump into mm-hmm. the wow. only thing I found on this
1: one was like the when I was looking at the hotel that I looked up the ballroom and I know that's not the the boundary of this minute but um but that the ballroom wasn't the they shot it actually in the, like a reception area of the lobby because mm-hmm. uh, the ceiling is different. From
0: there. <laughs> Yeah, in fact, the ceiling is different, and Brady, you might recognize the ceiling because the Hollywood Tower Hotel in uh, Hollywood Studios and uh, California Adventure for the Tower of Terror was modeled after the ceiling in the (laughs) Sedgwick. Yeah, so if you look at pictures of it, it's the exact same uh, uh, lobby-type area. Uh, Well, Mark, actually, I have a question for you real quick. You Mm -hmm. just talked a second ago about the Ecto-1 being black with the purple lights on it and stuff like that. As a screenwriter, in your mind's eye, when you're picturing something like that, do you just try to come up with, the thing that you're feeling uh, mm-hmm. fits the scene the best, or does it ever enter in your mind a practicality of what might actually have to happen on the set for something um, like that?
1: I, yeah, that's a good question. I, I'm more of like a researcher, so if there's something, I'd be more like in the Dan Aykroyd category where I'd look, I'd spend months and months like looking up, you know, proton colliders and you know neutrinos and, and making sure that the proton packs kind of had a real world analog. Um, and, what, but if, for something like the car, I wouldn't necessarily get into, or it wouldn't be important to say it's black, except that I wanted to give a feeling to the reader that um, it's a different looking car than you've seen. You know, it's yeah. black with purple lights, you haven't seen it before. So that's kind of the purpose of that. And then you let the director and the direction designer just go crazy with what, because they're the experts in that. So mm-hmm. it's, I think Aaron Sorkin said it, like, you know, when, when you're writing the screenplay, your audience is the people who buy screenplays. Ah, once, sure. it's, once it's purchased, you can go in and, you know, give... Because, you know, when you're writing the screenplay to sell, one of the things, you know, Aaron Sorkin pointed out, you know, as a former actor, is that you know, you'll have in the script, you know, guy at the elevator, waiter number one, you know, these character names like that. Um, for people who aren't important to the story, mm-hmm. but then out of consideration for the actors who are going to play those people, after the script is sold, you do another pass on it and give them all like a name, hmm. so that they, you know, they're on their resume. It says they played somebody, not just you know, guy falling out of a building or you know whatever. Right. Um, and those are, you know, in, in that kind of way, uh, certain things that will matter more or less toward a, to executives, and then. Uh, after it's purchased, become uh, a blue just a blueprint for people who are going to go off and do their own thing, like actors and production designers and
0: directors. Yeah. How, how 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 easy is it to kind of like, if you're if you're writing something to sell, do you have the feeling like once it's in the in the producer's hands that you're just kind of like, okay, you know, uh, this is yours now. I've sold it. It's a it's a product that you have, or do you still kind of hold something onto it, like oh, you're still my baby
2: to a degree?
1: No, I don't. If if it were something that I wanted to direct, like uh, it was really um, my baby, you know, if, if it's really your baby, you want to make, you want to produce and direct it yourself. If you are writing the screenplay to sell it, then you have to, I think, as a professional, let go at that point mm-hmm. and know that um, you know either they're going to make it better than what you had in your head, or just as just as good, or in, in rarer cases, not as good. Um, yeah. in in my experience. So I I think, you know, for example, Teen Beach Movie, um, in a lot of ways, was was better than what I had in my head. You know, I I don't write music, so, you know, I didn't write the songs in in the script. It was just like, you know, my friend Vince and I, who, uh, we wrote it together, we would just say, you know, this song is, this song takes the character from point A to point B emotionally, and is about, like, breaking up with a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And then, Disney Channel would go off and get, you know, Songwriting teams to to put the songs together, uh, and they ended up being so entertaining. You know this, you know. So that wasn't even part of of the screenplay, other than to to map out as a blueprint emotionally how the song needed to take the character yeah. through it.
2: I've heard that. I heard an interview with um, Jonathan Nolan, <laughs> who was talking about how much you need to say in terms of like an, a fight sequence in the script, or do you just how much of it you leave to uh, you know, the director, the people who are coordinating the fight, you can't just go in there and write, like, you know, every little detail and everything, but you also have to give just enough to, you know, help them along. So that you know, in terms of, like, writing musicals and saying, like, okay, this is, this is where the movie needs to end up based on this song, the lyrics of this song, is, uh, it seems challenging. So that's right. you know, you, all, all to you guys for being able to do that.
1: Thanks, man. Yeah, your, the job, I think, you know, for, for a car chase, for a fight, for a song... As a screen reader, you're you're taking the reader through the emotional journey of that piece, of that scene. Mm -hmm. So however you need to convey that in screenplay text is how you do it. And it may be different from what the director and actors are going to do on the set, and that's totally fine. Like, you know, we talked about in the previous minute with Lewis Tully in the screenplay was originally going to get locked out of his place because he was stretching his foot to try to, keep the door open while he was reaching out for his newspaper and trying to catch it. And, and then on the, on the set, Rick Moranis just gave such a great sort of anxiety-ridden performance mm-hmm. that it was just his face, and they didn't <laughs> need to shoot that other part.
2: Huh. That's interesting stuff, how these things evolve from the page to the,
1: to the screen. Yeah, and then once it's shot, yeah, after, after it's shot, it gets written again in
2: the editing room. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. That's the final draft almost.
0: All right guys, Well, anybody have anything else for this minute? Uh, that's it for me. Yeah,
1: right. for me. Thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, there are a couple of moments that like I want to kind of get into as a nerd and then like yeah. maybe <laughs> one or two moments where I never really quite understood what's happening. You know I, I I've told this to people before. you know I, I've seen this movie so many times and I've, I saw it first when I was like five. I would gauge my level of um, education. Based on what I understood from Ghostbusters, like, <laughs> you
0: know, that's w- awesome.
1: when I was five, I didn't know what Alice, are you menstruated right now, meant meant at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but as I went along, you know, I got it, and I was like, oh, that's funny asked that he would ask that. Higher
2: learning through <laughs> Ghostbusters, right? That I mean, awesome. it
1: pays off. Back off, man. I'm a scientist, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, so yeah, there, there's one other moment where I just don't think it's. Re- I think people just let give it to the movie and and don't question it and don't even know that it's a problem. But it's just another kind of maybe rapey moment <laughs>
0: that I <No>. know <laughs> from Peter that we should talk about. Oh, I think another one you're talking about. Then yes, absolutely, we will have you back on for for at least those two minutes and and hopefully more. So, Great, awesome. Thank you. Well, Mark, thanks again for joining us, and just real quick, uh, for everybody out there that wants to check out Bloodthirsty One Nation Underwater, what's their best resource to do so? Amazon.com, just search for Bloodthirsty One Nation Underwater. All right, guys, well, thank you so much for joining us for Ghostbusters Minute number 29. Uh, For Mark and for Brady, I'm Kyle, we're here to remind you that death is but a door, time a window. We'll be back. Ghostbusters Minute is a fan-supported podcast.
2: To become a patron of Ghostbusters Minute and gain access to exclusive weekly bonus content, visit us at patreon.com slash gbminutes. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at ghostbustersminute at gmail.com and visit us online at ghostbustersminute.com, facebook.com slash ghostbustersminute, twitter.com slash Minute, and look us up on Instagram at ghostbustersminute. Our theme song is Ectoplasm by Nautics, which is licensed under the Creative Commons Attributions License.